Hello, San Luis Obispo. On this week's episode, we talk with Blake Bristol. Blake is a lifelong educator and is currently a math teacher at San Luis Obispo High School. However, to many, Mr. Bristol is more than a teacher. He is a mentor, a friend, and a support system. Anyone who knows him says that he is just as much an inspiration as a teacher. This week, we talked about shifting high school online and the pros and cons of being such an influential part of a young student's life. We hope you enjoy this is Blake Bristol. This is Sam Lewis of Bristol's podcast. Featuring locals, legends, and leaders. Welcome to Slow Pod. I remember when I was in school and you were my teacher, the cell phone policy in your classroom was relatively lax. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Cell phones were off and away. Yes, but like, is there more of a problem with it now with as, you know, younger generations? It's absolutely rampant. (laughs) The amount of cell phone need that students have Mm -hmm. um, or perceived need that they have, they are constantly wanting to be connected to their world that's like that virtual world of what Mm -hmm. they've created and so they have a definite need to be on it all the time and i am so focused on teaching and so focused on them learning that if a kid can manage the the expectation of learning while they do something else that's where the laxness comes. Um, it's a responsibility thing to me. Like you need to be responsible enough so that you can learn what you need to learn. And if you can do it, you know, back in the day, there was a particular student who probably a year ahead of you guys who, um, basically built Minecraft world after Minecraft world during class and then gets a five on the EP calc test with no problem. Genius. And so it's my, it's for me, it's a balance of who do I need to slow down their technology use in class so they can get what they need to out of the class. Definitely. I, I super understand that because for me going to college, all of a sudden it's like, you can do whatever you want. If you want to take this class, you can take this class. If you want to fail this class, go ahead and fail it. You, you, don't, have to, yeah, you don't have to show up. No, you don't I'll, have to go I won't to class. Even, like, I won't even contact you if you don't show up to my class. It doesn't I had, matter. I had one class where the teacher said, here are the two dates of the midterms. You can show up if you want, but be here for the midterms. I'm like, sweet, I'm gone. <laughs> and then had the same teacher for another class. And I'm like, attendance is optional, of course, right? And he goes, no, you have to be here every single time. And I'm like, no, <laughs> why did you change? But he changed because it was the need of the class. Mm-hmm. And so when I teach algebra one, it's much more of a, Hey, let's get the cell phones away because they're younger and they still, they need to develop that habit. But when I teach an AP class, it's a little more, a little more relaxed. So it depends on the students that are in front of me. And even mm-hmm. in algebra one, I'll have some students that are so needy about their phones and, mm-hmm. and, and Instagram and Snapchat and whatever else is going on that, that it's, it's that balance of are they getting the education that they need to while managing their personal life. Mm-hmm. It's and, some, and, and also like with the phone, it's become, it's so addicting. Even on my, I'm still learning about how to balance it, right? I've learned how to study and how to learn things. And when you really need to buckle down and do something, you can do it. But it takes the discipline. Turn off your phone, sit down, and just 
learn here. But if at a young age you haven't learned that learning is good and that you enjoy it and it actually brings you long-term growth, it could be so much easier just to be like in your small world of your phone, just likes, likes. Oh yeah, that feels good. Likes, likes. It's crazy. Yeah, it's the it's the whole idea of trying to get um, that mindset of am I valued? Am I important? Mm-hmm. And the phone's a really quick way to feel valued and important, and it's also a really quick way to not like. Why didn't that person like this one? How come this is happening? Or they don't like me anymore? I didn't get enough comments? Or there's there's all sorts of pieces to it that that kind of shape uh, you know a freshman in high school. It shapes their mind into a kind of an altered light like reality. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I feel like my class 20, 2015 high school graduating class we were kind of on the cusp of social media really starting to take over when we were in high school because for me i never really got it was like oh this person didn't like my photo like that doesn't really register as something that would be bad to me it's like, i don't really care but if you were born into that and you came up where your social structure was built around social media interaction the need and like the like even aggression felt it's like oh this person didn't do this and they're doing it on purpose it's like means like i don't even think like this would be done on purpose but when i see younger kids or people who grew up more attached to social media it's like as it's as attached to them as like an actual conversation it's like if someone says something mean to them it is just as hurtful as someone not commenting or not liking a photo yeah it's insane but also i think we came up i mean thankful for it with a solid group of friends who we had that social interaction with opposed if you were someone maybe somewhat on the outskirts of a group or you were kind of almost like a like a ghost student of where that was most of your interaction was i'm gonna post this and then they're gonna like it they're gonna enjoy it and then we didn't get that and then it's just such a like you're saying it's there and then it can also just be not there and you're putting in so much effort and you're seeing other people do it and it just creates another life that can hinder, I guess, how you feel. Right. Well, what age were you guys when you got your first like smartphone? First Smart- smartphone. I got an iPad and iTouch before a smartphone. Right, right. So I still uh-huh. so it wasn't I, Wi-Fi. Device. I had yeah, Wi-Fi, yeah. so I could do it. <laughs> but I think I got Instagram slash Snapchat and eighth grade i think yep yep really yeah. for me it was freshman year of high school um this girl who's in one of my classes like oh you need to download snapchat and i was like she's like you just send photos like back and forth this communication and then I was they like, disappear I was nobody like, sees them again yeah, i was like i was like what <laughs> like i was so confused i didn't download it for like another three months and i was like i had no idea what this is i don't want to be part of this mm-hmm. and then instagram came along i still have my first post ever up there actually funny story i think I may have deleted it sadly, but my like first or second post was actually of a drawing that I did in your class. Oh, no way, that's <laughs> that's classic. That was that's that was like good history in the making. Yeah, on Snapchat. So I had Snapchat probably the first week it ever came out. It was I think seventh grade or it was back when Snapchat was intimate. It was more of there was like nine people who had Snapchat right. and you Snapchat each other because no one else Snapchatted, and it was. It was more than texting because I see your face, mm-hmm. but it's become, it became like more intimate, but then it came like, oh, just text me. Don't, it's more of a intimate conversation. And just for anyone out there who understands Snapchat scores, just to tell you how bad a time in my life Snapchatting was, I was Snapchatting people 
way more than I was ever texting anyone. People would text me and I wouldn't respond and they'd Snapchat me. It's and like then I'd instant. Respond. Yeah, that's what it was. And so for those out there, my Snapchat score is 431,000, which you guys might not understand, but that's, that's a lot. It, not proud of that. Doesn't that mean you set, have sent and received 400,000 Snapchats? It's something around there. The thing yeah. is, there's some sort of point system where you and me respond back uh, and forth to each other three times. You get two points. The fact that I know that is disturbing, too. <laughs> the, the multiplier piece of it. That's, that's yeah. something else that addiction, I, I have to ask, because we hear about it, and it definitely happened after we graduated, but, like, the vaping in high school yeah. is, like, is so pretty prominent. It is a huge problem. Um, I think there was a beginning of the 2018-19 school year, um, so a year and a half ago, and we had 32 freshmen and sophomores caught within, like, it was like this ring of vape, and it was within (laughs) two to three days, they caught 30 to 32 of these kids, and like, trying to just educate them on, you know, proper use of, of life, um, you know, at 14 years old, that's probably not the best decision. Um, at 25 years old, then you're more mature and hopefully you can make the right decision on that. Um, but it's just, it became a, a very quick cultural piece of a way to fit in with a group that maybe they didn't fit in with a group before. And they got to a point, I say they, like they're like a <laughs> subgroup of culture because they kind of are. Um, it kind of got to that point where it, it was really a really cool thing, but it was weird. Like, And I could just be a little bit out of touch because I get stuck in my classroom and I don't get out very often. Um, and now my classroom is my living room. So, um, But they have um, this, this like quick turn of now vaping isn't as cool. And it almost like it kind of like became a, on the down low a little bit of it, but it's still it's always going to be something. I mean, yeah, I mean tobacco products. Yeah, back in my days, you know, kids were sneaking cigarettes and this and that, and it just happens, and it's just part of that rebelliousness of teenagers trying to find who they are mm-hmm. uh, at a really young age instead of um, just kind of like chilling through the middle school and high school years and then getting into college and going, this is who I want to define myself as and that kind of thing. Yeah. I never thought of it as being a way to fit into a group, but that totally makes sense. Yeah. If these people are vaping and hanging out and vaping, you can grab one. It's your golden ticket into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Right. And especially at a young age, you don't understand addiction. You don't understand actually what is behind this thing that's been marketed to you. And you don't know what you're getting into. And I think I said this in another podcast, but a lot of things in life is finding the right people who to influence you because generally the influence of other people is going to make you make decisions that are not necessarily the best for you. You wouldn't necessarily go out and buy a vape just by yourself as a 14-year-old. But if you saw other people wanting to fit in, you might do that. Yeah, I think the percentage of people that have you know done an alternate lifestyle kind of thing with vaping or smoking or... Um, as you can go into the whole drug use and alcohol use, it's not a, I'm going to do this for me. It's a, I'm going to do this because I saw them do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you watch somebody do something, you, you either en- enjoy seeing what it is that they're doing and going through, or you look at it as that's not what I want to do. And it becomes a decision point in your life where you can decide, am I going to follow that or not follow that? Um, and when all of these things, and I think it's happened over, you know, the last 20 years where a lot of things that used to be adult kind of things have definitely started to trend down. Um, you guys said, you know, you were 
12, 13 when you got a smartphone and 14, 15, 16. My daughter, Emily, is your guys' age. And we, uh, when she started driving, uh, we decided that was a good time to have a smartphone uh, for directions and just assistance and help. Um, so she was 16. And now there's, you know, five-year-olds, six-year-olds getting their first iPhones. And it's almost impossible to find a phone that isn't a smartphone. And so I think just as things have bumped down in the expected age of introduction to something, it, it's starting to hit the high schools differently. And I think vaping is that thing most recently. Yeah, it's become culture of even as a parent. I don't know. I'm not a parent, but your kid's a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old. He's starting to go to school and he sees that everyone has a smartphone. It's the same thing as like people vaping he feels left out and exiled because he's the only person who doesn't have the similar uh, smartphone. It is what it's like a very vicious circle of as soon as one parent does it, it's like, Oh, well, well, whatever Jack's kid, Jack's kid has an iPhone. It's like, well, my kid now needs an iPhone and it's Mm. sort of just getting younger and younger because I have like a cousin. He can't be more than eight or nine, but like he has an iPad Atticus. He has an iPad an iPhone. I'm like, why do you have all this? So he doesn't even know how to like read a magazine. He's literally like swiping the pages of the magazine, like an iPad. I was like, "What are you doing? This isn't right." Right, and it's the it's the world that has been created. It's insane. It's growing so fast too. It's one of those things where every single day you can go online and find a new piece of technology. I need that. Mm-hmm. I need that. Somebody else has that. It's like now I really need it. Mm-hmm. What's your stance on where? the influence of technology coming into younger and younger lives. Like you're seeing it in these young children who have phones, boom, boom, boom. Do you think that's a good thing? Do you think that's a a natural progression that is unstoppable? Do you think it can be prevented? I'm going to go on the natural progression that's unstoppable. So let's try to find a way to make it useful. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for the most part, parents understand the you know the dangers and perils of too much screen time or too much time on TikTok or too much time on Instagram or Snapchat, and they the parents I think it's their responsibility to kind of just get that mindset into the kids of it's a great thing to have but it can't like it can't be who you who you are who you become. Um, and the, you know, the whole at school scene, the same thing. It's like, we can, we can say how great it is, but in moderation, um, and try to get kids to, to use it for, for, you know, connection to use it for, for good things. Uh, now that we've been at shelter at home and online school for two months, um, I had put out a poll asking students, what are they most thankful for? And there were several cell phone answers, and I'm like, okay, why is the cell phone the one thing that you go to? And every one of the kids that said cell phone is their, like, one of the most things that they're most thankful for. It's because that allows them to have connections with their friends still. Um, so it, I think they're, you know, this whole time, last couple of months, we've realized what's really, really important to us. And cell phones have made it where it's just easier to either, you know, message with words, FaceTime with face. I even made a joke one day that cell phones can actually call people. You can literally like talk to somebody. It doesn't have to be a message or a video. And, um, but the connection piece is, I think that we can turn technology use and the use of cell phones into a really, really positive thing. Mm -hmm. I think it comes back to influencing and good parenting and raising kids. Because before, before the cell phone, well, the cell phone is the key to the entire world. 
the World Wide Web. Oh, absolutely. You can be influenced by anything that is out there. And so kids at a younger age, for me growing up, I was very sheltered when I was younger of who I was experiencing, what I was doing, was all curated to teach me certain things. And now a kid who's five could get into some feed on Reddit or go and follow this one person and just get this influence that just through the internet he found through an enticing advertisement could become a very significant part of his young life and could lead you into down the rabbit hole of whatever that could be. Right. Which on the bad side can be very detrimental for long-term growth and everything. Good side, if you do find the right influences on there, you could have the best influences. You could be curated into the most inspiring people out there and be wanting to do that. And I think as, you know, as a parent looking at a five-year-old kid having their independence to make a decision on who, what lifestyle they're going to follow is a scary thing to let a five-year-old like do because his parents were like, we, we have this life experience and we have this, you know, expectation and goal for our kids and we want this to happen or that to happen. And in order for those goals to be met, we need to, as you said, curate their life into such a way that they get to a point in their later years and you know for kids 14 16 18 um 30 <laughs> that they get to a point where they can make a decision this is this is where i'm going and you know we change our minds um i'm not where i am today um it's not where i thought i would be when i was 18 when i was 19 it was starting to form but i wasn't there yet but as a you know as a five-year-old if i had the ability to follow and track somebody on my own i don't know where i would have been mm -hmm. so i'm thankful that my parents said here we want this for your life and i got to a point where i decided what i wanted for my life but it was definitely they put me on a different platform to choose from compared to where i possibly could have gone as a young mm -hmm. kid um i was talking to one of my coworkers, and he's a daughter and he said the interesting thing is even career paths of what you're exposed to of what you can make money from in your lifestyle where he said his daughter wants to be a uh, content producer. And I think that's becoming more and more idolized by kids because that's the movie star on their phone. That's the person they're following is the person that is creating this content for them to see, oh, this glamorous life that, as we said earlier, is also curated. They made it to look glamorous. It's marketed perfectly that this is the best life you can do without actually them seeing what's behind the scenes. Obviously, it is, a, it is a job now. You can do it and make money with it. But it's not just this glamour. There's, behind, there's editing behind the scene. There's marketing. There's hustling. There's a lot more to it that people don't see. And I think it's putting a lot of glamour on this sort of industry that doesn't actually provide much value to a society as a whole. As for, like, think of a doctor, engineer. I think that now as we've cut all these jobs out essential workers that actually provide value to a group of people yeah what's wild is because they're spending so much time in a way they're accidentally making themselves really marketable we talked about this with kj on a previous episode if you are so addicted to social media and you spend all your time you actually get really good at it and there's a huge growing work need for companies to try and get on social media and they're hiring really young people to be like, 
you're really good at social media. You've been doing this your literally your entire life. Come work for us and do what you've been doing, but for us. And they're accidentally creating a, like a really marketable skill for themselves. Yeah, I'm amazed at like students, former students, current some of the current students that I follow on Instagram, and I'm like, you're a senior in high school and you have four thousand followers. How did you do that? Like, how networked can do you can you be? Where you you know that's just mind boggling. But those companies are like they're the same way. They're like, how did you do that? Yeah. We want you here to do that for us. Mm-hmm. Like, what what's that that quality you have as a person that makes people just want? to be part of what you're part of Mm -hmm. Uh, influence is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And even to come back like the skills you learn is that when you're a five-year-old, a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, you're getting exposed to so much more, but you're also learning not face-to-face social skills, but you're learning social dynamics pretty quick. What gets likes? What is it that people like? What is it that I'm inspired to do? What is this image that people are going to be attracted to? I think it almost becomes more fine-tuned at a younger age, the more involved they are. Both sides of it, though, um, I mean, you could sharpen a really tight point or it could break. Right. You know, if you don't get on that train and it is being successful, it could be a hardship, a continual hardship of you're wanting to be something that's not quite hooking. Yeah, the, the idea of here are my skills – I hope there's a place for it mm-hmm. as opposed to what kind of place do I see myself fitting into and developing the skills to meet those needs. It's kind of like the horse before the cart idea. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to, you're going to put the skills together and hope that something happens mm-hmm. or are you going to find out what you want to do and make it happen? Mm-hmm. Um, seeing so many kids go through high school, find whatever it is they want to do, what they find a value. What is it that you think students through high school should value as important for long-term careers, maybe connections with people for just overall well-being at this age of life? What do you think a focus of kids should be? You know, I think that we've, we've talked a lot about this in different staff meetings and different uh, little groups that I've been part of. And I think that a lot of the educational piece it's, I've seen a big difference. I've been teaching for 26 years, and I've seen a big change in the importance isn't necessarily the curriculum that we teach. The importance is the tackling a problem that you don't know how to solve, learning those like soft skills of how to think through a problem so that you can put together a plan. But more importantly is communicating that plan to a different person to get them to have some buy-in, to get them to believe in you. And then the teamwork piece of, of executing that plan. Um, and yet we're still like stuck in the mindset of, but you have to learn this while we're doing it. And so it's, it, to me, it's that balance of, you know, if, you know teaching math, I, I know that in, in an Algebra 1 class, there are certain foundational skills for those kids that if they don't know those things, they're going to falter in later math classes. Um, and who, who knows to say that some of those students aren't going to be the engineers and the computer scientists, and they may, they may not know it yet. Or maybe they do know it, but they're in a class with students who their goal is to you know go um, work their dad's shop, which is awesome if they want to do that. But they're all put together in the same classroom. So I try to structure teaching in such a way that they have that overall like mindset of let's t- 
tackle a problem together so that we can create a solution to it. And the problem that we have to tackle is chapter nine, section two. Um, and then when they get into calculus, you know, both the guys had calc with me and, and even in that class, there's a bunch of people in that class that are taking the class because it's just the next class. Mm -hmm. They didn't really have that desire for the calculus piece of it for a future goal, but it's here it is. And so I try to teach it in the two components of, we have a, a curriculum to get through, but underlying that is how do we tackle problems? Because problems will always face us and how we approach those and how we get people to, to connect with us and get on board with us is probably more important than knowing the subject matter. Mm -hmm. Finding a universal lesson that will serve you throughout everything. Uh, because now probably even more than most, the basic general curriculum is less applicable to their lives outside of school. For sure. You know, they're going to be facing problems, but that are not going to be any relevance to any classwork they've ever taken, but teaching them to band together and try to figure something out. How much leeway do you have? Because I know there's like an overall school board that kind of helps decide curriculum and everything. How much does individual schools have in terms of say, of, we would like to teach this way, like we want to do learn by doing, we want to do more projects or we want to teach it in this direction do you have to follow a sort of standard guideline set down do you have to teach a certain way or can you kind of make it what you want we have a i mean we have a book that we use um the book provides guidance and problems uh we have a curriculum that you know the common core standards that overarch the entire math curriculum and say this is what you should teach in these in this time frame um, and so we have to like, just legally, we have to follow through with those things, but we've always said, I believe firmly in the idea that once you enter a teacher's classroom, their teaching style and their personality has to allow for freedom to do what they think is the right thing to do. And if as a teacher, if I see somebody else doing something that seems to work better, then I'm going to play around with that and see if it works for me. And if it doesn't fit my style or my personality, then it's like trying to fake something through. And I learned early on in my career, you can't fake teaching. You have to just be real when you teach. And if you can't be yourself and do, do things that are comfortable to you, then the teaching just falls flat. Um, so you know, inside my classroom, I have 100% freedom as long as I meet the goals of the standards that we're supposed to teach, the problems that we're supposed to assign for homework. Uh, we do common tests. So like all the algebra one teachers are using the same test, but how I get there, it's up to me. That's nice. And I, I think you definitely compared to the many teachers I have, you enjoy what you do and students who go through that can actually buy into that of you're enjoying yourself. So I think you create an atmosphere that allows kids to enjoy doing school. Yeah, the, one of the backhanded compliments that I get sometimes is the kid who I failed or gave a D to, and they're like, your, your class was my favorite class. <laughs> I'm like, how do, you, how do you say that? You never did any work. <laughs> but they, there's a, I, try to, um, I try to put into this a sense of um, just fairness and openness into how I do what I do and have students have a safe place to be comfortable with themselves too. 
um, a student a few years ago who said, you're the only teacher who understands that my sassiness isn't like mean, that it's not a, it's not a me being a bad person. It's just, it's kind of like who I am. And most teachers don't appreciate that. And I'm like, I appreciate it because you're being yourself. And, and underneath of all that sassiness, there's a kindness and a compassionate heart and a work ethic like none other and um, just a general joy to be in class because it makes class real. You, know, you guys have been in classes where the teacher's so monotone and there's like no talking in in class and I guess college is mostly that way, but yeah. <laughs> but in high school that. in high school there's a lot of that just monotony of here's what we do and this is how we do it and if you add three plus three and nobody talks and nobody says anything and I'd go home kinda going crazy every day. Um, because I need to have that that uh, back and forth interaction with students and the, you know, I'll, I'll pick out on a student every once in a while that can handle a little sarcasm and throw stuff their way. And, um, not to the point where I'm making fun of them, but absolutely making fun of them. Uh, just <laughs> because it, it's, it provides, it makes them, makes them understand that we're all just real people and we all have a common goal of, of life. Um, but yeah, I, I can't imagine doing my job any other way. Well, I mean, you kind of are imagining job. You're doing your job another way right now. How's that going for you? Yeah, seriously. Teaching from remotely. Um, I put a post out on Instagram gosh, a couple months ago, probably the first second week out, and it was I, I've likened the school closures to like losing somebody, and we had to. We've all had to go through different moments of grief, uh, denial and acceptance and sadness and whatever the other stages are that I can't remember. But I, I've had more ups and downs in the last two months, um, just mentally, because at, at one point I thought, am I doing anything that's helping anybody? And I, I almost lost like the feeling of being of value to people because all I do every day for the last two months is I look at a camera and I talk yeah, you don't get that um, feedback. I, I get feedback for through emails or messages. Um, there's, I feel fortunate. I think I get probably more feedback than than some others do. And so I, it's not that it's necessarily the feedback piece that's not there, but it's that it almost comes back to the social media thing where it's that instant <laughs> feedback. And I found out a lot about myself that I really do thrive on instant feedback. Um, I get energized by compliments. Um, I get, uh, I, f I feel better about myself when I feel like I'm doing a good job. And so to sit in my living room or family room or kitchen or my office, uh, my backyard, my garage, I think those are all the places that I've taught from just to give me some variety. None of it has filled the void of students being in my classroom to have that feedback, that day to day connection, that interaction, um, so I've tried many different ways to still feel connected to them, um, to find a way to let them know that they're still important to me without necessarily being able to see them each day. Um, I spent the first three weeks and I sent 120 postcards, 130 postcards to my current students and some of the former students that I had. Um, just yesterday I sent 110 emails. I a lot of it was, shh, don't tell anybody, but it was a lot of it was just copy paste. So like 40, <laughs> 40 kids got the same email, but it, they all fit into this like, hey, I'm really proud of you for the work that you've done. Keep it up. We've got two more weeks. We can do this. 
and just to feel that connection and uh, we were talking about this as we were walking into the studio that um, I've been putting out a weekly video um, something funny or dumb or just me being me um, again just trying to have that that connection piece and I know that it it's connected with some people I get again some pretty good feedback but at the same time it's it still feels empty uh, I, I in my day at two or three o'clock on okay I guess I'm done there's like it's weird it's just it's weird to live in solitude as a teacher yeah and not having a community of teachers and staff around you huh I've always kind of wondered along that First of all, are your classes live? Because I have classes for college that are like summer live and summer pre-recorded, and they send them out. And uh, one of my like favorite experiences—don't ask why—but I had lunchtime detention, <laughs> and so I had to sit with the wonderful ladies in the office in the admin building. And I was there for like three days, eating lunch with them, and it was super fun because they were just gossiping about teachers and students. And I wondered to like what extent are teachers talking about students in between classes because that's a whole new social like, circle yeah, I, yeah right <laughs> they're um you know during during normal school we call this normal school now we're online school during normal school before there's the plague yeah before <laughs> there's this constant if i need to know something about a kid and i know so-and-so's had them i'm going to go talk to them uh-huh. and say have you done anything that's worked or should i just give up <laughs> um or this is what i've done what do you think and uh, there's none of that now. So really? there's also like, there's just, there's no, there's no misbehaving kids. Um, I haven't had a kid act up in two months. <laughs> it's a wow. definite a plus. Uh, I have not had to tell a kid to put a cell phone away. Though I think I did in one of my pre-record, I do pre-recording lessons. Um, I don't do anything live uh, as far as the teaching part goes. Um, I spend my first hour each morning just looking at what kids have turned in through uh, Google Classroom. And I then didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically. Would you guys use? Have you ever used like Canvas? Yeah, that's what we use. Yeah, so Google Classroom is the same thing as Canvas. Essentially, okay. it's just a place to push information out and collect information. And I'll spend an hour grading, and then I open up my live Google Meet, which is a Google platform for Zoom, basically. And kids can drop in in those three hours if they need extra help. During those three hours, I'm preparing my PowerPoints and my videos so that I can record them later in the day. And then I'll start recording anytime between 10 and 2. Take my nice hour, hour and a half long lunch, go grab in and out or something. (laughs) So there's a lot of freedom that I've really, really enjoyed the last couple months. But again, it's it's sad that I've settled into being okay with it. Um, Because the first couple of weeks was not okay with it. I would more like these little mental breakdowns and panic attacks and anxiety pieces that I'm like, this is not what my life was meant to be, but it's where we're at. And so let's try to find the joy in the moment. Um, but it took a while to get my mind to that point. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, these pre-recorded lessons, um, I don't know if the kids watch them or not. Mm-hmm. I asked them to, to take a picture of the notes they took and they turn those in. So there's this appearance that they're watching them. Um, but it's yeah, it's kind of hard to know exactly how it's going inside their house. Yeah, yeah. I was curious about that of how student engagement. Do you feel like your teaching is reaching them? Is it kind of you just don't know because it's just on the other side of the screen? Yeah, is it's, it effective? Like, literally, I had no idea until I get some an email back. And I, again, I've gotten enough emails to know that I think it's working. Um, it's not the same. Like if, you know, if I'm teaching you guys how to do something and 
and you have a question about it and there's this immediate question and answer, we, we resolve problems within minutes in the classroom. Uh, this could take three or four days. Um, I'm constantly recording for tomorrow, um, t you know, today. And so it's already a day behind, but the kids aren't working on it probably until maybe the next day. So now it's two days behind when I recorded it. I'm already recording like stuff for next week. And so there's this, the asynchronous piece to it. It's like my mind has gone in so many different directions that it's hard to keep track of everything every day. Uh, about three weeks ago, finally, I kind of got down into a system. Like, I think I've settled into a good spot and now it's, it's working really smoothly now. So they can watch your lecture whenever they choose. Right. So that's what I was kind of wondering because high school, when I think about it now, it's like, I have, I'll have four classes in a day and I'll walk out exhausted. And then I was like, high school, I had five classes every day, 70 minutes. Are they, are kids watching five lectures a day? Like, are they fulfilling that same amount of time at school, at home, watching or participating in school? So, you know, my 70-minute class, I've boiled down to probably 12 to 15 minutes of actual, like, watching a lecture. Um, my ideal goal would be that they're as they're watching it, they're pausing the video to write the notes down and mm -hmm. rewinding it to see it done, you know, the problem done again. Uh, this is too mathy probably for this conversation, but we were doing a completing the square in algebra one. And I'm like, this is one of the hardest things that kids are ever going to have to do. And they're trying to do this in their living room without me in the room. And like, it's, it's kind of a joke, but let me go through the process again and again and again. And there's probably some kids that have rewound the video and like, okay, what did he do there? And why did he do that? And then they submit their notes to me. And then the, like every other day we do a problem set and we do notes and then a problem set. And I have an honors class where we're doing notes and a problem set all on the same day. And so they submit the problems and I look at them like, these kids are getting it. Mm -hmm. This is weird. You know, in, in some ways, I've found that <laughs> that style has been more effective for me because I have classes that are both live where I have to check in and some pre-recorded classes. And one of the classes was financial management, theory and policy. And my teacher had a super thick accent, didn't like being interrupted in class. And so I found it very difficult to learn things because I couldn't really ask questions and no one really liked to talk because she would kind of roast you if you interrupted her lecture. And now she puts a pre-recorded video and I can just go back and I can rewatch it and I'll take whatever the 30 minute lecture and take my notes on it. And then I have other classes where originally I felt way more comfortable asking questions and now people don't want to be on the Zoom for the whole time. And so it's if you ask a question, people are like, okay, yeah, come on. Like, you're that guy. Yeah, like, come on, let's get it over with. Like, you don't need to be asking these questions. Or you pause the whole class, and then 35 kids are, like, trying to hit, ask a question at the same time, and it makes it way harder. So in some ways, I've actually benefited from the pre-recording and the ability to, like, just rewind and just do the whole thing over again with the teacher more than a live class. Yeah, and I think by adding in that, you know, the morning time where I have live tutoring available, um, I have a, quite a few kids. I wouldn't say a lot, um, probably 110 students that I have right now. And I think probably have seen 30 of them that have dropped in. And first of all, as soon as that little bell rings that I have a person in my Google Meet, I actually get really excited. I'm like, people <laughs> an actual person and i i never jump into the math um except for a couple of them that i don't want to talk to very much but um it's always hey how are you 
and we have a nice little uh, two minute conversation. I'm like, coffee talk. Yeah. And I'm like, and one, this one girl the other day, I'm like, so do you have any questions? She goes, no, I just needed to see you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh no. that's so sweet. <laughs> and so we had about a five, six minute talk about just how things were going, other classes and, you know, that surfacey level of, mm-hmm. of conversation without getting too deep and stuff. But it's just that the, a lot of the kids are missing that connection. And I have a little algebra one student who, um, probably the first three weeks dropped in every single day just to say hi because she was really really struggling without seeing her friends without seeing her teachers and and she knew that i was on you know for algebra one i'm was on from 10 to 11 and um i've kind of changed that model because i was just waiting for people to drop by thinking that more would but not very many did very often and so i am now like on an appointment basis so if they need me they can just between those three hours they can just email me and i'll get on instantly mm-hmm. um and i'll get quite a few of those but this particular student she emailed me and she goes you're never on anymore i said all you need to do is email me and she said but that's hard and i felt so bad i'm like oh, maybe i should just i should like get on and invite her to a room and just have a nice little chat and but yeah, it's yeah. The connection piece is tar- is hard when you're doing the recorded videos. Um, mm-hmm. So I just pretend like everybody watches it, and you know they're all like you know re- re- recording it on their cell phones and they're sharing it with their friends, mm-hmm. and um, that there's like this big conglomeration of people watching Bristol teach and watching his videos, and you know all that ego boosting pieces that mm-hmm. make me feel like I'm doing my job well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, That's, I want to speak to that a little bit of her side where she was saying she wanted to come and speak to you as a person, us as adults, we have the freedom to go to the store. We have the freedom. You have, like here in San Luis Obispo, it's not as extreme. You have the freedom to go out and do something. For a lot of kids, they are in absolute isolation. Mm-hmm. You can't leave, they haven't left the house for a month and a half. And I imagine like having that open time where you speak to them actually means a lot for them. And I think it's it probably makes their day. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I think that, you know, talk about a divide in our culture and our lifestyle that we have now. If you're an upperclassman and you have a license in a car, this has probably been in the freedom sense, some of the best two months of your life. <laughs> I said at one point, this is the longest senior ditch day that they'll ever, that we'll ever see. Yeah. I hope. Um, the end but, of summer. Yeah. But the freshmen and the sophomores and, you know, they don't have their license. They don't have a car and. You know, maybe their parents are working still, or maybe they're not working, but there's this expectation, hey, you've got school to do, and you can't go anywhere, and I've got my things to do, and uh, it just makes it really different uh, for them. So I can imagine that having an opportunity just to connect with people. Outside when, of your immediate family. Right. And, you know, so a lot of these kids, they, you know, personality-wise, or um, just the idea of school has always been a natural social place. They may not have a, like a huge friend group. They may not have a very small friend group, but they're in a particular elective and that becomes like their group, even though they're not like, maybe they don't get called. They're like on a, you know, kind of that at risk fringe type of a person. And, but they feel connected when they're at school. And now that we've removed school from them, it's, they don't have anybody checking in on them. Mm-hmm. And that that scares me probably more than them not getting a good education is where their uh, psyche is. Um, so yeah, it's it, for me that's that's one of the reasons I've put in all the effort that I have to try to make online school feel as real as real school does um, because a lot of people need that 
in their life. Mm-hmm. They need that structure and they need that connection and they, they still need to know that they're you know cared for and loved and have a have purpose. The interaction, even with school, kids don't always want to go to it, waking up, oh, I got to go to yeah. school again. But it's kind of strapping into the roller coaster where you're going to have an experience. You're going to be talking to people. You're going to be put in uncomfortable situations. You're going to overcome things. You're going to meet new people. Uh, I think it's what you said of when you have a class and you're not necessarily best friends with everyone, but you end up creating this dynamic of a community that, I mean, if you didn't have it, what are you doing? You Now right. you're just doing the part you didn't like. Right. Yeah. 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 I did have a student who... Uh, sophomore taking algebra one didn't do very well last year as a freshman and and he is he put he sent me a message and said this is weird i'm two or three weeks away from finals and i know i'm gonna pass a class (laughs) so he's thriving like he's he's not always like perfectly on time with everything but he makes up all the work at his own time at his own pace and he's the work that he's turning in it's it looks good and he's doing really, really well. And I, so I said, what are you doing in your free time? And he goes, I've played more Call of Duty in the last couple of months than I have in my life. Same. And I'm like, good for you. <laughs> I mean, like you to, to be able to like do school and get some learning and then have that ability to have some free time. I'm like, you know, way to way to make this work for you. Nope. But what, what are we missing out on? We're missing out on learning how to be with people, mm-hmm. how to treat people with kindness and, and people that have differing opinions than you do. And how do you have a civil discussion with them about something? And now it's all done through social media. That, you kind of touched on something earlier that I wanted to ask you about, kind of the culture of San Luis Obispo High School, because you mentioned Senior Ditch Day. And when I was a freshman, Senior Ditch Day was like, all the seniors got together and left. And then by our senior year, no one really left because everyone was like afraid that it was, you know, going to come back to us. And you were talking about how like social connection, if you see like different classes, because I feel like the 2015 class was really connected, more connected than other classes. Do teachers see like different classes in different ways? Like different years, so like a different personality oh, yeah, in yeah. a class. Yeah, La- last year's class was a you know the class of 2019 was a very driven class. Um, they had goals. They had uh, they had things that they needed to do to get those things done. Um, they you know, I, and I told a bunch of my classes this and, um, that their personality, the class personality, was people aren't as important as an object or an, a goal or an outcome. And that if that's the way they went into college, they were going to have a rougher time in college because they, you can't get through life by stepping on everybody there. At some point you have to be able to build a relationship with them. And so I um, try to encourage them to really think about how do you do this? How do you do the relationship part while still meeting those goals? Because there's a, again, a very driven, success oriented, goal oriented class. Uh, two years ago was like the complete opposite of that. The class of 18 was one of the probably more socially connected than you guys were in the mm-hmm. class of 15. Um, it was wild how important people were to them. But they still had that because San Luis High just has this, this expectation of excellence um we send students all over the place doing amazing things and 
so that doesn't ever change like class to class but it's kind of like the approach on how they get there uh the class of 2020 has been to me it's been that the class of like just absolute kindness um they are way more willing to live with what they have um they aren't as driven uh they aren't as like goal oriented, although they still have a very high level of expectation of success, but they also have that. What do we, how, how we treat people is way, 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 way important. And I think it's, you know, ironically, the funny thing is that's, I think for our high school, that's the reason why we've been able to endure a lot of the school closure stuff really well, because it's kind of like, okay, that's, this is what we've been dealt. Now let's make it, make it work, make the best of it. And if you guys had to go through school closure, I think things would have burned. <laughs> I'd say definitely. We were definitely a uh, a people-oriented class from where I was at. But also, we also had some really driven people, too. Yeah. I mean, everyone's really gone off, and at least that was around our community, really taking the bull by the horns. Yeah, I think, like, your class, the, from what I remember, the personality of it was the, um, the connectedness was huge for you guys, but... And fun was also huge for you guys. <laughs> Essential. Um, Essential. But the the goal was going to happen because you worked hard. It wasn't that you were like goal oriented. You were work oriented with a goal in mind. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And last year's class was like so goal oriented for the most part mm-hmm. that they didn't. They just bulldozed their way to success. Um, and this year's class, they're going to be just as successful as any other year. But there's yeah, just so yeah, Emerson. There's a. There's a every class has its own personality. That's really interesting that you said that that we were work oriented with a goal in mind, with an emphasis on fun and connection. You saying that that speaks to me of wow, that's how I work. Even coming from mm-hmm. high school is just the foundation of what I how to conduct yourself and achieve things. Of I'm work oriented. I like working. I like doing things, and I kind of have an airy. It'll get me to somewhere. Yep. And, but along the way, I'm going to be around people and enjoying myself. Wow. Deep. <laughs> Mind-blowing deep. Yeah. And I, you know, it's weird. It's, like having, it's almost like an older sibling, younger sibling. Sometimes when you look at your brother or sister that's a year or two older or something, you're like, oh, I really like what I see. I'm going to try to be like that. Or you decide that's not what I want to be. I want to be different than that. And I think classes have that like... They're not doing it on purpose, but I think a, like the graduating class for next year has seen how this year's graduating class has handled it, and they develop their personality based on what they see. And I, it's re, it's very rare to see two graduating classes in a row that are very similar. It's almost always they're kind of flipping and flopping a little bit. They retain some of the good things, but develop their own things. Mm-hmm. And then they, the next class, to, you know, retain some of those good things and they develop their own things. And it's, it's yeah, it's so the social experiment that I've been able to witness for so many yeah. years. Is, it's fun. What a, yeah, what an interesting dynamic to observe as just a fly on the wall. Not even a fly on the wall, but just a pillar in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> a fly on the pillar in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> are, are senior classes, I mean, I suppose this year is going to be even more difficult. Are they still doing senior pranks? Like, are you seeing senior, have you been seeing senior pranks since we left? Cause I don't even remember what ours was, but you guys are out in June, right? Still. Yeah. June 5th is our last day. Um, and the administration just put out an email that last night that said to, to seniors. And that part of it was, 
the the idea of you know senior pranks may be not the best idea this year. <laughs> True. Um, but I just even email with, spam. <laughs> even with that, I think that there's this um, this mindset of oh, what can't we do? <laughs> what is something that we can do? And um, just thinking, you know, just throughout the we're where are we at? We we're right in the middle of May doing this recording, and so. Um, we could always predict what's going to happen. And then when this broadcasts, we'll find out if it did or not. True. Um, but yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if there's some, some, something going down. Um, some intricate yeah. plan. Yeah. I've always super interested because I, I've seen some like go really well and some go like really poorly, not poorly, like something went wrong, but it's like somebody, our senior year was like, or the senior year above us. So 20 class of 2014, their great prank was to saran wrap the, tiger at the beginning of the driveway entrance but you couldn't see it because it was saran wrap and it was clear and it was like that might be the dumbest thing i've ever seen like somebody <laughs> put a lot of time into that and it it completely balled and it, it affects one no. car yeah <laughs> i think cut it open and yeah you're done. we had a for our senior pranks i remember we had a one day where it was park wherever you want day yeah, that was <laughs> absolute perfect execution mayhem that in the parking, parking lot. lot was insane it was just you had to weasel your way in basically no one was parked in any of the parking spots it was just diagonally it looked like a junkyard i think it might have been the year after you guys that they tried that too but then there were two or three people that blocked every entrance to the main <laughs> parking area and some the parking lot became empty and nobody could park. And that, you know, I think senior pranks are, it's kind of like that, that mark of a, uh, of a, you know, the embarkment of this is where we are. This, this is us. And they're kind of a necessary evil. I've always said, have fun, but don't do something that's going to cost the school. Like Mm -hmm. super gluing the locks is like the traditional, but it's so dumb. Um, I've never heard of that. I've heard of some, even at San Luis High, where some locks have been glued, and it's it's you know tens of thousands of dollars to fix. Yeah. There's a group one year that I think they buried a trash can full of cement or something, or had a keg inside of a trash can. They buried that, and the the district was like, "How do we get this out?" And they had to bring a tractor down and like lift yeah. it out with a tractor. And I'm like, that literally didn't cost anybody anything except we had, we own all the equipment. They just somebody yeah. took time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if it takes time to clean up or time to take care of, that's yeah, cool. Uh, mm-hmm. But when it's damaging and destructive and costs money to fix, and that's not so cool. Um, they had a couple – there's been a tradition the last few years where seniors brought their pet to school for the day. Mm-hmm. I have a funny story about our year. <laughs> and, and that the first year was like, you can't do this. And then everybody with a pet met up at the Red Stairs at 10 o'clock, and they took them all home. And mm-hmm. not everybody took them home. And um so they, there's been there's like become some tradition stuff the uh, senior day where everybody dressed up as old people and I think the parking mm-hmm. bad parking turned into like dressing up as old people and they, yeah. all the seniors met up at the bottom of the red stairs I and, that. yeah walked up together and they all fell <laughs> and then they had a sit in one year and I think O'Connor bought pizza for everybody that year for lunch and oh, just, wow. yeah just different things two years ago they thought a fun senior prank would be to camp out at the school. And I talked to one of the kids that next morning. I got to school early, and she walks out of this tent, and she goes, we pranked ourselves. <laughs> I said, yeah, that was a dumb idea. They looked, oh, it was a hard day for them. They looked so tired. On the the Pets Day, I remember well, I brought my my uh, blind 
almost deaf dog Pismo to school. And that was a great day with me and him. And he was just like, where am I? <laughs> but, Nothing smells the same. Yeah. When we were walking up, though, there was this girl ahead of me who decided to bring her fish to school. <laughs> and we're just walking up along like the parking lot. And she's walking up, talking to her friends. And I'm probably like 10 feet behind her. Walking up, talking to her friends. All of a sudden, walks into a pole. Fish. Fish bowl shatters. It's everywhere. It's screaming bloody murder. My fish, my fish. Everyone comes running. We're trying to get this fish. There's like three of them. And we end up putting them in a water bottle. They live. But it was one of those things I was just like, oh my God. See, memory makers. Yeah. These are good things. What are, yeah. what are the best and worst you've seen so far? That's a tough question. Um, How about favorite, least favorite? <laughs> Well, you think about it, I'll lay yeah. the idea that we had for ours, which was everyone pitch in like five bucks because for five bucks, you get like 10,000 ladybugs in a little cup. Oh, there you go. And everyone was going to bring ladybugs to school. And at whatever the 15 minute period, everyone's going to release go. just like 100,000 ladybugs <laughs> into the quad. And just Absolutely ruin the ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where are we? What's happening? Yeah, I think so I get stuck in my room. I've said this a couple of times and I don't always hear of everything and I actually have a really bad memory for certain <laughs> things. I don't remember very many senior pranks. Um, so I'd have to like list them out and think about it. Um, give a shout out to my dad. He and some friends of his did this to a girl that they liked ish. This is back probably in 19, like 51 where they um, took a different grass seed than what was normally planted. It was a darker colored grass. And they basically planted her nickname in the front yard. And then about three months later, the grass started growing. And the dad was like, why is our grass? And all of a sudden they realized that the nickname <laughs> showed up. And so I've encouraged maybe a little bit some <laughs> students. I said that it might be a good idea if you find the right place to do it. Just put you know class of 2020 in a different grass seed somewhere on campus. But with all the construction we have now, I don't know if there's any grass left that's going to be there for very long. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. How's that all the construction going? It's a, it's an, it's one of those necessary messes. Um, the school's going to be absolutely beautiful. Uh, we have the new math building, twelve classrooms. All twelve math teachers are together in one building, um, so we've been able to do that. That That's nice. Hey, what's going on in your room? And being able to like be cohesive like that's been huge. Mm -hmm. um, new admin building opened up the first week of, of school closure, um, so we'll have a new entrance point into campus. Uh, they're redoing all of the shops up top. The wood shop should be done soon. They're going to do the metal shop over the next year. Wow, like new and improved. Yeah, like gut out everything and then rebuild it from the inside out. Cool. Um, they've closed off the uh, library, the upstairs, 200 rooms, the foreign language and the English hall are all completely closed and are gutted, demolished, and they're building a new science lab uh, in the old foreign language area. The cafeteria is going to move into um, where the admin and library is and the top is going to become the library with some classrooms and we're talking, you know, three to five years till completion. But Yeesh. once it's all over, it's going to be amazing. Wow. Yeah, Do I you mean, know if they kept the planetarium? I have not heard the final say on the planetarium. Oh, no, I love no, there, the planetarium. There is, there is rumors of Mr. Ritchie chaining yes. himself to the door so they can't yes. get in. <laughs> Go, Mr. Ritchie. Yeah, he'll just start singing songs and doing stuff until they he'll grow his beard out until they <laughs> yeah. until they agree not uh -huh. to demolish it um, yeah, it's a, such an iconic piece to have a planetarium at a high school right um so i hope that they keep it but i'm 
in one way or another. I don't have a lot of hope for that. Are you guys gaining any form of technology in your classrooms? Oh, Smart boards? So we went um, to TVs with Microsoft Surface Pro where we have the connectability to carry around our little tablet with us and write on it and it automatically shows up onto the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, it the, the strangest thing is I didn't realize how important that was going to be for me doing online teaching. Uh, some teachers are trying to use a Chromebook to do all their curriculum and like videos. And I've got this amazing technology piece where a lot of, a lot of feedback I get is it feels like we're still in the classroom because <laughs> the way I taught in the classroom is the way I'm doing now. It's just not me being live in front of them. Um, so our entire campus will be, I th- from what I understand, we'll see what happens in the future, but uh, we'll all be tablet based with projection abilities to a TV. So like, well, like students with tablets or teachers? Teachers. Okay. Yeah. And then we have 800, 900 Chromebooks on campus. So that we're, we have the, we're not quite one to one, but we're, we have the ability to, on an almost everyday basis, we have access to a set of Chromebooks if we want to do technology-based stuff for the kids. And Cutting edge. Get on it. We have, uh, I think, seven Chromebook carts in the math building, and there's probably four teachers that that's their entire like modality of teaching is through the Chromebook. So the kid will get on, log on to their Chromebook. There's a couple different programs out there. Um, one of them allows the teacher to project what would be projected onto the screen onto the kids Chromebooks and they can't move on to the next slide until the teacher clicks next. So she's basically running like 35 individual little like teaching stations. Um, For me though, that again, that kind of goes against my whole connection piece. Um, And in some ways I'm so old school that I, I like to teach. Uh, I like to be in front. I like to give out examples. I like to have them do work. And when you put a screen in front of them, there's a barrier from that. So I I try not to use Chromebooks very often. (laughs) That that is something I think speaks to you a lot, that sort of desire to teach, because I always know when a teacher wants to be teaching and there's teachers that young, even young teachers that like, I feel like they're in their first or second year of teaching and they already hate teaching. It feels like you don't want to be here. Like, why would I want to be here? you really don't want to be here. Like, is there something in teaching where it's like you thought it would be something and it turns out to be something else that causes some teachers to just not want to teach? Yeah. I think I was talking to a guy who's neighbor of mine 20 years ago and he says, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a teacher. And he goes, and he's, I was like 30 and he was probably 35 or 36. He goes, yeah, I thought about doing that. You get summers off, right? Like I haven't had a summer off. I've been doing summer school and I've been doing that. And, you know, I think 26 years of teaching, I think the last four years is the only, the first four years that I've had that I haven't done a summer school. Um, just the need for money was more important than a need for six weeks of my summer, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of teachers get into it thinking that it's, it provides a relaxed kind of and a very, very, very secure profession. Mm-hmm. Once you get through that two years of probationary, temporary, whatever teaching, then you're tenured and it would, you know, you have to basically harm a kid to get fired. Um, you can't get fired for being a bad teacher. And so once they get into that role, they're just comfortable. And so maybe they work hard for a year or two and like mm-hmm. they pass the test and then they just get comfortable. And it's, there's a whole bunch of like, push and pull from other teachers, students, administration, and parents try to get those teachers to do what 
they think is the right thing to do, but they're just like, no, that's not what I do. And so it's, yeah, but kids, you guys are like these little like beacons of, of like target in on a, on a weak teacher and like do what you can to destroy them. (laughs) Yeah. My first two years, I actually had a a principal my first year, probably within the first two months of teaching. I'm had just turned 25, just gotten married and principal calls me in and he goes, so it's not looking too good. And I'm like, you're telling me that I'm the one in the classroom every day. It's horrible. (laughs) And he goes, if you can't get better, you will have to find a new profession. Wow. And I just burst. It's just started like crying. Like I, this is what I'm meant to do. How can I not be? I'm so, I so want to do this, but I'm not doing a very good job. And he said, go ahead, just let it out. And he's really good guy. And I'm like, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. (laughs) And he says, we have a substitute for you the rest of the day. He says, and we're going to have you meet up with so-and-so and and she's going to work with you to get you to where you need to be. And so for me, like to have somebody that invested, but I also had the desire where I wanted to be a good teacher. I just didn't, I was at at 25, I was like a 12 year old maturity sometimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) mentally. Like I just hadn't grown up into my own self yet. Um, And just in those, in that like nine months finishing out that year, learned so much about myself and to get comfortable with who I am and stop being like the, you know, that this is the way a teacher's supposed to be because the kids are just like, Oh, target, target, target. And I still remember kids going, if you weren't so da 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 da, we wouldn't be this way. And I said, and learned really early on that if you are yourself and open and honest with kids and respect them, like the way you want them to respect you, it'll all work out. Hmm. And so I've had 25 really good years of teaching since. Um, with teaching, I feel like it's the profession that if you do learn how to do it in a way that you're comfortable and it's effective, could, amazing job. I mean, you are teaching children how to learn and how to grow. But if it doesn't go well, it, you are the only one teaching in that room. It's all you. Right. It's all on your shoulders. Yeah. It's, it's funny how like for me, it's so it has become it wasn't this way at the beginning, but it's become so effortless to do what I do. Because it's not it's not just a me thing, um, it's a it's a us thing. Uh, it was actually I was doing some graduation cards for students that I'll put in the mail next week or week after, and um, normally I'd hand them to them, but since I'll never see them again or whatever, um, so I, was, I, I I wrote on several of them. It was so good to to, to have algebra two with you, and I, as I'm writing it, I'm thinking, I never have thought of this as me being the teacher authoritarian and you're my subject the student it's a we're in this together mentality and so that's that's just developed into the way i think through and that's just even in writing that those words i'm like this is crazy like these are just they're these are just people that are along a path and i just happen to be in front of them for this short period of time and might as well take advantage of what i can to help them Mm -hmm. um do you think i've always thought I consider teaching to be one of should be one of the most valued professions out there because it's the foundation of the future. And I think the world, if I were to become dictator, the entire world, I would switch it around and make teaching the highest profession. You are the one teaching others to make it one. People would strive extremely hard to become teachers and it would be a vigorous process of becoming a teacher and therefore, I mean, I think that would be a cool play on the world 
of when it came back, you have the absolute smartest people teaching the younger people that I think could perpetuate into uh, amazing growth as a society. Yeah, I've, I'll catch myself on the wrong side of things sometimes, like uh-huh. just mentally and how I think through stuff. And I'll hear like this, um, there's hundreds and hundreds of these, but currently we have a student, one of the top math students that we have on campus and uh, asked what they're going to be doing for uh, college. And they said business. And my mindset was, why would you go business? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. No, but I'm thinking you have, and I thought, wait, it doesn't matter what they go into because they're going to be good at it. And it's that, that idea of, of, you know, oh, you went into teaching because you couldn't do other things. And, you know, sometimes you get that mindset that people have and, um, oh, you're a doctor because you're, you're smart or, you know, you do this. So you have value. And we forget that, that our, our paths get determined through circumstances and choices and, and wherever we end up is where we need to need to shine and be, be good at. Um, I was first two years of college, I was aerospace engineering major, hoping to work for NASA and design stuff that went into space or things that flew or be a pilot. And I was coaching football at the time and realized that, um, being with kids and coaching and my, both my parents were teachers. My brother was a teacher at the time and just realizing that, that my family profession kept like calling for me, that there was, there's enough people that could be engineers, but not everybody can be a teacher because of the, the mental workload that you have to go through to do it right. And because I, I, it's not that I didn't want to be a teacher as a kid. It's just, I didn't want to like follow in my parents' footsteps. I want to be my own self. And I love planes. And I love things that fly and I want to do that. And so I did for two years. And, but I, I was like empty because it didn't feel right. And so that's what kind of got me into the teaching profession was, was honestly, it was coaching while being an engineering student and realizing that my life was kind of determined to be um, working with kids and helping them kind of figure out where things are at. And I actually had uh, another student of mine ask me this question. He says, why do you teach? And so I actually put a note on my phone and this is probably two weeks ago. And I thought, why do I teach? And this is what I said. I said, I have a chance to be placed into a student's life so that I can help them realize their strengths and their weaknesses so that they can improve their strengths and either find ways to ignore their weaknesses or turn their weaknesses into strengths. That way they can become the best versions of themselves so that they can help influence the next generation in the same way. So you ask, you know, why do you teach? That's, I, that's where I've settled in on. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna need that quote. Uh, (laughs) But Uh, where you're, where where you came from is interesting. I I come from an entire teacher or entire family of teachers. My grandparents are teachers. I think their grandparents or their parents were teachers. My uncles and aunts are teachers. Everyone are teachers. And I've always been on the other side of when I was in, When I was a kid, I regret this now. My uncles make fun of me every time we meet. Um, uh, my uncle came up to me. He's an AP history teacher in uh, Newbury Park. And he said, yeah, Braden, why don't you become a teacher? I said, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to make money. Right. <laughs> and I was like 13 or something like that. And But as I get older, I, it becomes more and more of a um, enticing thing because I love kids. I have 16 younger cousins. I've grown up around kids. I love teaching them things that I've learned. And I don't know, it seems 
uh, like it brings a lot of value for yourself while adding value to others. Right. But w- you know, in your young profession that you have going, you're going to be a teacher within where you're at. You're going to have people under you at some point. You're going to be able to influence them in the same ways. Um, the difference for me doing high school is that I have them at a really, really impressionable, sometimes past that impressionable part, mm-hmm. but at a really good time to like just be there for them and feed into their lives. And, you know, most people have a really good home most people have a really good parents, but we all know because we're guys that we don't always listen to our parents when we're 15 or 16. No and idea, I'll tell you, no idea what you're ways, talking about. <laughs> and I listen I, to my parents all the time. <laughs> okay, maybe even 25. Um, <laughs> but to be able to say the same thing that a parents would tell a kid and have them listen to me <laughs> and then go home and tell their parents, you know, Mr. Bristol said this and I'll get an email from a parent. Thank you. It's what I've been telling them for years. I'm like, I know. Just, yeah. I just need it. a different source. Just, yeah. Different source, different, different type of respect. Um, yeah. It's been in the money part. I mean, you know, my wife and I lived here for, we've been here for almost 30 years. Uh, I've been married 26 years and we've never really, needed more money mm-hmm. and we were for 22 of them basically living off a single teacher salary uh raising kids my wife had started part-time work i think when my kids were like first and fourth grade or something like that and she's teaching full-time now to help pay for college because college isn't cheap and, no. um and so she's actually she's she's also a teacher she teaches first grade at a coastal christian school down in uh, pismo and then my daughter uh, is in the middle almost finishing up her student teaching now so again that perpetuation of teachers um family business kind of stuff mm-hmm. cool um what's the future looking like for going back to school is yeah, it so is it in is it coming back this year's Done. Yeah, we're done this year. They they put together uh, plan A, B, and C. Uh, plan A is that we're back full. There's no like, like nothing ever happened. Um, though we have, I, I don't know. I think they said 300 hand sanitizers put around the campus now that didn't exist before. Uh, so I think there will be a lot more uh, uh, hand washing. And uh, I learned a long time ago that I'd I'd never pick up a student's pencil. I kept getting sick. And I'm like, why do I get sick? I pick up a kid's pencil and I'm like, wait. So I think there's that ownership of, of awareness that that's going to be different. But plan A is just we're back. We're good. Uh, government has released all the different pieces to it and schools are in full session. Uh, plan C is our current model. Would that be starting in fall? Sorry. Yeah, starting okay. August 17th, first day with kids. Wow. Um, so obviously I, I prefer that plan because – I like that better than what I'm doing now, though. I, again, I really like sleeping until eight, <laughs> eight fifteen. There's like no set time. I have to be at work. Mm-hmm. Normally, I get up at five and I'm at work by seven. Um, plan C is the current, like fully online. And then Plan B is a hybrid of the two, and I, I can't figure out how that works, other than. Yeah, I don't know. I, that's gonna be that's gonna be a hard one for them to put together. How um, are they doing? Like trade classes like metal and auto or it's TV. all yeah so it's all uh book based so they're getting the knowledge without the like the practical mm-hmm. side of it so that's that would be one that maybe they could do two days a week of the book side of things and three days of the week in a, in a lab um maybe they do three days online two days in class uh, my son uh caleb he's uh second year at cuesta and he's doing a welding class right now so mr Faye, is he still teaching over there oh Faye, absolutely yes 
Lofay. Yeah. And, um, so at Cuesta there, he's, I, I, I told him, I said, if you start welding in my living room, we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, yeah, he does, you know, a couple hours a week online, looking at a, at an online lecture on what welding is supposed to look like, <laughs> but you can't actually get any practice, yeah. uh, which is tough. So that's where the hybrid thing will come into play. I'm, I'm thinking like with my class, you know, I could probably go somehow three days a week online and a couple of days in class. And I would just, I would structure it so that the in-class time wasn't me actually teaching. It was me helping, looking at kids work and doing that immediate feedback piece. How do you, um, how do you yeah. deal with tests? Are you guys doing like the lockdown browser where you can watch the kids? Through the no, we've, we've encouraged or... cheating um, as much as possible. Um, <laughs> The, even the AP test this year, it's 45 minutes, uh, two free response questions, and open notes, Google allowed. For, a, for the AP test? They can call me, Whoa. I think. I think they could literally say, Bristol, I just how, go do the wrong you, time. how do you do this? And I'm just like, what in the world are we doing? But they said that they, were, they will be able to write a question in such a way that it distributes the students into fives, fours, threes, twos, and ones. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> This That's is crazy, crazy. Level. <laughs> right? I don't understand how they're going to be able to do that, but well, they even told. So I've got uh, two kids that are their brother or sister doing AP stats this year, and um, they the 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 word from the president of College Board said it's okay to have two people in the same house do the test at the same time, but it's advised that they're not in the same room. Yeah, they, right. But they can't even monitor it. <laughs> yeah. There's no mm-hmm. monitoring, so. We have that that expectation for kids, just to that academic honesty piece. You know, do the best you can for you. Good luck. Oh, it's <laughs> we. You know, I in a, in my honors algebra two class right now. I've got thirty five students, and I've got like thirty one A's mm-hmm. because you can't monitor anything. And uh, whatever. And they're going to get into better schools because of it. <laughs> no, we're all going to end up where we end up, and we're going to make the best of it. And, yeah. 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 How'd you, how'd you get into Stanford? Oh, I, I was a senior during the COVID-19 or so was I. Oh, right. I mean, we're all on the same level playing ground. Mm-hmm. And so what it's really done is that it's, it's distanced those people that have not engaged in the learning. And, you know, our, I have a kid in stats has a 4%. He just hasn't done anything. 4, 4%. 4%. In the yeah. He signed mm-hmm. up for Google classroom and that was an assignment and that's all he's done. Mm. Um, he's a senior. He'll graduate and move on. And I'm like, I can't, you know, stop that. Um, my freshman, I've got one whose parents said, yeah, she's just really struggling with everything. So we're going to let her take algebra one again over the summer. Sweet. Do it. Hmm. Get her in a, in a healthy, safe spot. It's not going to ruin her life mm-hmm. in this whole two months. Whatever happens positive is a good thing. And whatever happens negative, we hope that doesn't ruin them. Interesting. Yeah. I've always wanted to ask a teacher this, like from always, I know it's not as applicable in math, but when students, you have like over the course of all your classes, like 40, 50 students or more, like in college lectures, hundreds of students. Do you actually, or do teachers actually read all their assignments? Like if you have 30 kids turning in free response questions, are you actually reading all of those answers? No, yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. Right now in the <laughs> online world, I don't, there's not enough time in my day to go through everybody's picture. Like this one girl takes a picture of the paper, like six feet away from the, I'm like, <laughs> I, I can't see what you're writing. <laughs> and so I just try to make sure that there's writing on the paper. And yeah. uh, AP is a little different. Um, 
they have a test a uh, week from today. And for them, some of them I know they're the, the, the high flyers. I don't need to look at their work. They're going to get a five. And then there's others that I'm like, it, I could probably spend a lot of time with them. And so those ones I'll look a little more into detail and I'll give them some notes and send them a message. Hey, when you do a problem like this, do that. Or I've had half a dozen kids that I've like, please meet me on live tutoring. Like now we need to talk. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I, I just turned in an essay for a class and I'm, it's an online class to begin with pre like coronavirus, but there's like a hundred kids in this class. And she asked us to turn in our essays for our final two days ago. The deadline was midnight. I turned mine in at 10 and by 10, 15. Yeah. But like literally the, by the next morning, everyone had their grade. I was like, there is no, no way. way that nope. you read over a hundred of these multi-page essays in one night. Nope. There's no way. I refuse to believe it. Yeah. I did, maybe the first week in stats, I think I went through every kid's work and looked at all the details and said, okay, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I, I've developed a relationship with these guys for the last nine months. I know their personalities. I know the work ethic. And I know that they're doing the work. There's three kids who I, I still look at every day. Do they really do the work? Because they've never done anything. <laughs> and I know that they're my target. And I'll yeah. look at their work and be like, that's garbage. But I guess I'll give them points because I can't really tell, like, what is their home lifestyle like? What exactly is going on in the house? Are they... Do they have a house? Um, both parents are unemployed. I, I don't know. And so, you know, throw the kid a bone. He actually turned on the computer, took a picture, and turned it in. So here's your five points. Mm -hmm. um, we actually, this last year in normal school, we we did away with homework as part of the grade in the, in the class. Wow. Everything that's graded is done in class. So kids can do pra practice at home if they want or not. It's up to them. Mm -hmm. But if they do something in class they get credit for what they've done. And some teachers do it as like a quiz thing where they look at the results. Some mm -hmm. teachers are like participation and growth and learning. Um, that's where the individual teacher has a lot of freedom. I think that's parallel with college a lot too. Right? Where it's, yeah, we have a quiz every Friday. You either know it or you don't, and it's yeah. going to show on Friday. Yeah, and I, I just, you know, I, I kind of drove that conversation this year in the department and it was, it was me being tired of looking at a kid saying, here's my homework that I just copied three minutes ago. Give me full credit. <laughs> Versus the kid here, I've done everything perfectly. Give me full credit. I'm like, how do I give those two the same credit? And it was just this constant battle of, of I'm doing this to get a grade and I'm doing this to get a check in the grade book and I'm just doing this because I'm supposed to. And there was no desire to learn. And so I convinced the department, maybe not unanimous, but convinced <laughs> the department with the administration's backing to refocus our our expectations on learning and away from checkpoints in a grade book and for me it, i think it was a huge huge difference it was a little bit of a learning curve for the older grades like but we've always had homework it's always been my it's like helped me get a good grade and i said we're still we're not changing the way things are done except we're only checking what you guys do in class so the 70 minutes we have in class need to be more important it's wild because for all my classes i all like I don't think I had one class where I actually had homework I would need to turn in until we all went online and they're like, okay, now you need to turn in your homework. Like, what? <laughs> I haven't done homework in years. Like, yeah, I feel like now a, I need to turn it in. I, I feel like a hypocrite. All of a sudden, like, yeah, homework matters. Yeah. <laughs> turn it in. Let me see what you've done. But it's the idea that that's still like their home is now their classroom and we need them to practice. And back when, you know, from September through March, we were, 
in class practicing all the time and just developing like Braden you said the um the idea of a work ethic that you develop these habits that last you a lifetime mm-hmm. and that's something that I, I can no longer control physically so I have to control systematically by having them turn in the work I wonder if there'd be a way to almost like an hour be all right we're gonna start here there's these 10 problems that I have for you guys to do. You have the next hour to work on them and do them. And you can have like immediate feedback after that. Right. And I think that, you know, if we do this plan B hybrid thing next mm-hmm. year, I think there's going to have to be some like more forced, responsive, yeah. forced live teaching. The, the, the worry was we did this so quickly this year that to create an entire school schedule in the time that we had, would we can't guarantee that the kids have that same structure at home that they would. Mm-hmm. And for us, we didn't know what the workload is going to be like. And there's no way I could do four periods in a row and then prep everything for the next day and then do what I needed to do for the next day in that amount of time. Yeah, there's a lot more production behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. But now that I've kind of gotten into the groove of, you know, most days I work, you know, 8 to 12, pretty solid, and then do my lunch. A.M. or P.M.? That'd be AM okay. for me. Right. Um, and then I do my lunch 12 to 1 or 12 to one thirty, and then I record for half an hour to an hour. Some days, I think last week, I spent a day until like 5.30 working. And I'm like, I just got a lot to do today and just kind of rolled into it. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to keep going. So we ate dinner and I just got back on and I worked till like 11 that night. I just was on a roll and had things that I wanted to get done. Um, probably part- felt, it's probably felt good on your side. Right, it's almost yeah. kind of entrepreneurial where you just... Yeah. You can, you're kind of creating, you're creating a new form of teaching. Yeah. And part of that was, I've, if I mentioned the, you know, the Monday morning videos that I do and I was, I was actually writing a script, uh, for the recording that I did, um, yesterday that'll come out in a couple of days and get, I actually have done lighting in my house to make the lighting work better. <laughs> so there's a lot of like the creative side of me has some freedom now because I'm not, I used to spend all that creative energy in a classroom trying to like you know, make fun of Emerson for something or find a way to connect with this kid while that kid's doing There's a lot of creative energy used each hour in a classroom where I'd go home really, really tired, but there's no necessarily none, none of that creative stuff in my work day. And so I've tried to use that creative energy, creating fun videos. So this one I just did was a Jimmy Fallon. Thank you notes episode. Um, and I showed my wife and she just looks at me like, <laughs> you married me. <laughs> we'll link the uh, the videos in the Instagram posts. There you go. Okay. In the post so people can can go and see them. Because we were watching this morning, we we're getting a kick out of it. Yeah, very funny. Yeah. High, high production. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't call it high production. <laughs> got some. Yeah, he got some uh, cinematography in there. Yeah. What it is is it's it's just me being me and having fun and trying mm-hmm. to be connected with kids. And it seems like yeah. you have that go through your teaching and everything in your life. Yeah, try to. Yeah. Um, as we ask everyone on our show. I mean, you being a teacher, hopefully you read. Maybe you've read a book or two. Um, do you have a favorite book that you've ever read? You, know, you sent me this last night. I'm just like, don't even bring up the book. Yeah. <laughs> we want to, um, yeah. So, favorite book. Define Calc. Calc one yeah, through three. Define favorite. I am not naturally a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to read until about fourth grade. And favorite book as a kid was Bridge to Terabithia. Because I could just yes. imagine myself being that kid. And going through that, it was a very formative book in my in my youth. And then, just I became way more involved in sports, and books kind of took a side to yeah. me. And 
never really read a whole lot. Um, you know, in high school and college, you're forced to read, and like there's not a lot, not a lot of pleasure reading. So I don't read a ton. Um, I'm in the middle of a book right now that was written by a Navy SEAL about kind of like the Navy SEAL life and leadership aspect. And I'm on like page 12 or something. I got it at Christmas. <laughs> um, the So yeah, books, I, I don't read a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But if you define favorite as like, which book have I, do I read the most often? What do I do? Um, I'll, two parts of that answer. So I read a lot of articles uh, that are usually um, like two pieces to that. There's either leadership based. I love the idea of a systematic approach to leadership. And so I'll get on like a leadership kick and start reading books on leadership or parts of books on leadership or articles on leadership. And then anything that relates to a statistical study or anything that seems like it's mathematical in nature, I'll Mm -hmm. read to find out how badly written it was. (laughs) And then I'll bring it up in class. Like you won't believe what I just saw last night. And I'll, we'll talk about like real life, how bad certain articles can be. Yeah. Statistics are terrible. Yeah. Misinformation that gets put out and like, yeah, this must be true because of our study of 12, three year olds or whatever. I'm like, I'm not sure that's true. Um, the, to be honest with you guys, the book that I've read the most and that I look at the most is the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's for me, that's kind of what's guided my life in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, but even that I, I pick it up, not as often as I used to because mm-hmm. right now there's Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> great shows yeah, on Netflix. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. As someone who's into aerospace and obviously really good at mathematics, did you ever watch movies like Interstellar, Gravity, and sort of just chuckle at how poorly they were developed in certain areas? Absolutely. <laughs> the, the whole, I mean, like, okay, that's fun. <laughs> what world are you in? Wait, you're not. You're in outer space. Um, yeah. Did, I have a very cynical side to me when I watch shows and movies. Um, I try to find their mistakes and kind of just laugh at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every once in a while you get a show that's done so well and you're like, that's really good. Um, but yeah, it's kind of fun to take all my life experience and then cr- critique movies that I have no business critiquing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apply, apply Yelp review. <laughs> one of the movies I've, I've asked people that and one of the movies that people think was done really well was The Martian with Matt Damon where he goes to Mars and he like, you know, kind of makes it work. He's like, people are like, there are parts that like aren't real, but for the most part, the, the science held true. So any movies where you're like, Oh, they did it well. This one really crushed it. And the science, you know, it's funny. I, I'm not a huge, um, science fiction fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll watch certain movies and stuff, but my favorite like movie series and favorite movies are Star Wars movies. Nice. And people are like, "But you don't like science fiction?" I'm like, "Cause that's real. <laughs> you don't tell me that there's not a world out there that's like a Star Wars world." So in my mind, Star Wars was done perfectly because nothing in that movie or that series can't happen because it really did happen. Yeah. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> and so. I think that's that to me. That's the movies that were done like absolutely perfectly well. I love movies like that that end up creating its own sphere of culture and time and the way things are done. It was like in Star Wars, nothing related to Earth or people or here. It's just its own atmosphere that this is how it is. Yeah, and I think that's like all these other like Gravity and Interstellar and all that. They're taking Armageddon's a really good one. Yeah, too. That is a good movie. <laughs> 
that's like really you're or you're sitting on come on now um <laughs> but it, is that the one where he, the guy sat, like sat on the asteroid as it came in and blew himself up? yeah mm-hmm. spoiler alert yes um <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen the movie by now you probably never will um but yeah it's to take like human life on earth and pretend like it can exist in a different place that it never actually has there's going to be flaws in it but star wars never tried to do that they created their own world which is cool and it was amazing i love those movies (laughs) i remember my dad 1977 when the first one came out and i was eight years old my oldest brother was 14 and my dad said hey everybody get in the car we're whatever and you know eight-year-old memory and so i remember getting in the car and we drove to the theater and it says star Wars and there's a big line. I'm like, I'm going to get to see star Wars at eight years old. This is amazing. And my brother got out of the car. And I started to get out. My dad says, Oh, don't get out. We're letting him go. And oh. it crushed me. I'm like, <laughs> oh, man. you can't do that. It was like, I think this is a year before in that same time frame, uh, Dodgers had made it to the World Series, and I was a huge baseball fan, and I was the only one in a, of the three boys that liked baseball. And my dad got tickets to the World Series game, Dodgers Yankees, is either 1977 Classic. or 78. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> and he took my brother. And oh, I'm like, no, no, <laughs> not again. Yeah, so one of the, the whatever order they happened in, it was not again. Like, come yeah. on, can't you just love the youngest child for a while, please? Um, yeah, those are good memories, but yeah, Star Wars is amazing. Love that. It's just that is awesome. It's great. I had a um, little touch of pneumonia back in October and was like put on medical leave for three no. weeks. And um, so actually, I kind of got used to not. Was being it pneumonia like symptoms? <laughs> no, I believe it was actual pneumonia. <laughs> Though if I went and got antibody tested, I may find out different. Yeah. Somebody actually asked, a lot of people asked, do you think maybe you had like corona before it became like a big deal? And I'm like, I don't think so. It just mm-hmm. The symptoms were way not what people are dealing with now. Mm-hmm. And I reacted to antibiotics within a, like two days. I started like, okay, I'm not going to die. This is good. Yeah, I was just looking for some clickbait. <laughs> yeah, <but there> you <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe someday I'll be episode number 12 too. Um, during that time, I rewatched like all 12 or 10 or 12 movies. So it's funny, like I don't know all the inner workings of Star Wars. I'm not like the fanatic that knows everything, that has everything. But every time I watch one of them, I'm just like, oh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. Dang. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute yeah, pleasure. Yeah, is there any, anything you want to say out there to the students, people, parents listening? No, it's just, hey, um, Thank you for thank the two of you for having me in today, uh, and parents and students and anybody else that happens to be listening. Uh, just you know, th- this this whole year it's been a rough year. Um, uh, lots of different pieces of, of sadness in my life this year, and um, getting all that some other day. <laughs> the but every day that I get to do what I get to do, I try to find the joy in it, and I just you know hope that everybody can find a way in their life to make a difference in people's lives and find joy in what they do. Um, and I've had 26 years of teaching and I've got uh, technically I've got 12 more years to go, uh, until I hit the retirement age. And, and to, to be honest, during this Corona time and not being with kids every day, I don't know if I'm ever going to want to retire, but there'll be a point where I'm like, I think now is the time and it's going to be the hardest day of my life can't imagine like that point where I say goodbye uh, to what's kind of that, that part of me 
I've always said like teaching is part of me. It's not who I am. It just happens to be what I do, but it's a big part of what I do. So I just hope that everybody finds that passion of what they love to do and do it well and make a difference. Amazing. And I think it's apparent that you are a amazing teacher in this community and obviously a leader of how people should be educated in this community. And thank you for everything you've taught me in my life. I still use calculus to this day. And yeah. uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah it's truly. been my pleasure. Unimaginable respect for you. Yeah, thanks, crazy. Guys. Thank All you right, so this much. is Blake Bristol, and this is Slow Pod. What is up, San Luis Obispo? We are officially All Systems Go on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Slow Pod. We are now also available on iTunes Podcasts and the Google Play Store under Slow Podcast. And if you really love what we're doing here, you can support us at Patreon for one-time or monthly donations and Anchor for monthly donations. Thank you so much for your support, everyone. We look forward to giving you more great content.